while you're turning, just another announcement for you. I uh, just want to bring to you that our brother Paul Munger has uh, stepped down from his role as a deacon serving. Uh, he's wanting to tend more to matters in the home and care there, so just bringing that word to you. It'll be in prayer for him and us. Um, we'll work for the other deacons. We'll have to... I'm sorry, I was going to say something about the parking lot. I drove in tonight and I said, wow, we've got to get the deacons blowing the dust there, but storm has hit us all, but do remember that in your prayer still, and pray for many that labor today still. We've pointed out several wrestling with illness and numbers down today, but let us, even in our small band gathered, let us hear the word of the Lord from John 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way. The same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things that were said when they were when he, which He spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Well, in reading there, we trust again the Lord to bless the public reading of His Word. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, tonight we enter Your presence in the name of this great Shepherd of the sheep. 
Lord, we've given testimony together. Lord, it is always a joy to sing and lift our hearts and voices together with Your people. But it seems at times these hymns and psalms are selected from among ourselves in the evenings that there's a special sense of testimony, a special sense of desire. And Lord, what hymns tonight of remembering the work of Christ. And we've read tonight of that work. We've read of our Savior's willingness. Oh, how He differs entirely from the false teachers. How His Gospel differs entirely from every other form of religion. His and His alone is a Gospel of grace. His and His alone is a Gospel of power. And we come tonight and ask for the help of Your Spirit that in looking at the Word and especially in just pausing to meditate in and through these symbols on the work of Christ, on the love of Christ for our souls, that You will be pleased to draw near and meet with us. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This evening I wanted to read from John 10. I had thought really of taking a text from another portion, another one of Paul's introductions, some words that are found in Galatians 1. But I was reading... I thought when I started it, it was a sermon. I bought a volume up at, I think, Dr. Beakey's conference a few years ago, the Banner of Truth table, on some selected writings of Hugh Martin. Again, one of those stars in that galaxy there in the middle 19th century in the Free Church of Scotland. I thought it was a sermon as I began reading it. It was warm and devotional as sermons were to be, but... Well, that volume has sermons and it has essays, and the essays can be longer than sermons. But Martin was always jealous to hold up a particular truth with regard to the offering to the work of Jesus. And while the essay was not on this 10th chapter of John, he pulled from it at one point and Well, it's very moving to the soul to consider what he has drawn from it. I won't repeat his message, for it wasn't a message, but I want us to focus for a few moments from having read this parable of the Good Shepherd, and yet to have it direct our thoughts as we come to remember our Savior. The story, in a sense, is plain enough. It's a picture perhaps not as familiar to our experience as to those to whom it was written because we don't have such close proximity to sheep and so forth these days, or perhaps some of you do, and I don't know of it. But the beautiful picture of the shepherd knowing his sheep, of the shepherd calling them by name, of the shepherd approaching and then the sheep knowing him as well, 
and hearing His voice and, and following Him. And what a beautiful picture that is of the Gospel. Sheep, you can find in other contexts in Scripture, and sheep by those that are supposed to know that tell us of the character and the practices of sheep. Well, we are sheep going astray. The Bible tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But this good shepherd, he has done a work for his sheep. He's not left them to their own way. He has called them. He's made them His own. And He has done so at the most awful of costs. That of laying down His own life for them. I want to just put three statements, three parts of this before you this evening. This laying down of His life for His sheep. The sacrifice that He has rendered on our behalf to purchase us. Where did it come from? What's its source? Well, there's no source that we can find in ourselves. We are those that have gone astray. We're those that have rebelled against Him. We're those that have transgressed His law. And if we go back to the original creation covenant, all that is owed unto us from our Creator and our God is the wrath and death because of that that we have earned. It could have indeed been the end of the story. Adam partook of that fruit and he and his wife, and the whole race that was in him would have been the recipients of eternal wrath. Rightly, justly, and really expectedly. The Gospel's that unexpected thing. I just wonder in our sanctified meditations about the fall of Satan and his jealousy of man and his assault against Adam and his success in seeing Adam transgress and death pass upon Adam and death pass upon all men through and in Adam. I just wonder how unexpected the Gospel was to Satan. But as we consider what it is to us, how unexpected and how undeserved. The source of this sacrifice is nothing other than the love of God to our souls. The love of the triune God to our souls. And our Lord speaks here We see something of the tenderness and the heart of this Good Shepherd as He, so different than the hireling, the hireling who would seek to use the sheep, the hireling that would seek to 
get gain unto himself. And then when any danger would come to the sheep, would flee lest any danger fall upon him. Not so with the Good Shepherd. His love for them compels him to protect them. Compels him to save them. But what is the sacrifice itself? What is the substance of the sacrifice? Well, that is the life of the shepherd. It's Christ Himself. And you see here that the Good Shepherd, so plainly stated by our Lord, lays down His life for the sheep. I preach to the choir in many ways. I trust we are a people familiar with the facts and even the details of the Gospel. We're jealous to repeat them. But as we ponder this, and we think of the sacrifice of Christ, of His offering of Himself, the point that Hugh Martin was making that so captured my attention again, I've seen him make the point, he actually has a whole book on the atonement, basically making the point. But he just had the phrase that when we read John 10, it just it flows repeatedly. It was much on our Savior's heart. His own activity in rendering the sacrifice. It's one of the ways in which some of the types are insufficient. They can give us a piece of the story, but often can't contain the whole. And in this offering of Himself, it's one of those. Because not only is Jesus the Lamb that is slain, that Passover Lamb, that substitute for His people, He is the sacrifice. He is also the offerer. He's the priest that slays the Lamb. He's the priest that collects and presents the blood. It's easy for us Martin was lamenting in his day that some of the truth of the atonement was slipping away and some of the things he was presenting and others were preaching were almost catching some of those Scottish Presbyterians by surprise. They hadn't been rehearsed frequently enough. But the active nature of Christ offering Himself He wasn't, in that sense, the passive victim. Even if we understand, as we emphasize here often, that it wasn't just the cruelty of men against Him. It wasn't just the the type of death that He died and the suffering and the the, uh, torture of the cross. Those were real, but they were just the attending circumstances of the big picture 
That he was enduring the wrath of God. But he was enduring the wrath of God on purpose. He was taking it upon himself actively. He's engaged, if you will, in his own offering. You see some of these phrases. I love the words of verse 18. We find them here in this parable. But echoes of them before Pilate in the judgment hall. No man taketh it from me. You can look at the narrative. It appears from so many perspectives here is this helpless preacher from Galilee against the chief priests and the mobs of the people and the Roman armies. He is that helpless victim. No, He can say to those that would seek to defend Him, do you know that I could ask right now of my Father and He would presently send ten legions of angels? If there were those invisible chariots of fire round about Elisha, that Elisha prayed for his servant to be able to see what armies are surrounding Jesus, and yet none of them is needed. He can but speak the word. He just uttered in answer his name, I am he. And the soldiers fell away backwards. No man took his life from him. He laid it down. He had the power, and again this term can equally be translated authority. He had the authority to lay it down. You think of that. The right. He is the one who has been sinned against. He is the one that must honor His own law. And He is the one whose infinite wisdom has devised this plan whereby He can honor His own law. Not loosen it one bit. He can honor His own law and yet release His people from its penalty. He has authority to lay His life down. He as priest and offerer offers Himself. Then He has the authority to take it up again. To be able to say, it is finished. Martin had the little devotional thought. He wondered if those hours of darkness 
had come to an end. And that it was in the light that Jesus said it's finished. I don't know that we can know such things from the sparse narrative that we have. But the sovereign activity of Jesus, the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. Well, the last thing I suggest, and just very quickly, is the success. These sheep go in and out and find pasture. These sheep are brought into His fold. You see the wonder of that universal Gospel of the other sheep He has beyond the fold of Israel. These such as we're reading of in Romans that will indeed hear His voice and follow Him. And we're gathered in tonight. One of those things that we often wrestle with and perhaps we'll sing in testimony again tonight. When we're convinced of sin and perhaps even have the devil beyond the convincing work of the Spirit try and convince us that our sins are so great that they can never be forgiven. It sounds humble. It's not. It's really unbelief. When you pause and consider the greatness of the sacrifice and to suggest somehow that that's not enough, God will have to wring something else out of you besides what was offered by Jesus. What folly. We'll come to those phrases perhaps in Romans 8. Who is he that condemneth? Christ has died. Tonight, let us as sheep that hear and know his voice rejoice in the work of our Savior, in his sacrifice as the good shepherd for the sheep. I want to ask you to take the blue hymnal this evening.